Hello and welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. I'm Tony Clark, your host. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Jeff Seif. Now, Jeff succeeded Zola Levitt at the teaching helm of Zola Levitt Ministries, and he's been the, the ministry's primary spokesperson uh, as well. Now, Zola Levitt Ministries is a Messianic Jewish ministry organized for the evangelism of unbelievers and the exhortation of believers as well. Now, Jeff continues teaching the message on television, writing books and articles, and ministering in churches across America. He's been a college and a seminary professor for many years. Uh, Jeff is also a graduate of North Texas Regional Police Academy. He's a former criminal justice professor and is also a police officer part-time in the Dallas area. Now, that was shocking to me, and we'll get into that as well. And Jeff also appears to be an avid motorcycle enthusiast, and we'll talk, we'll discuss that as well. But uh, Dr. Jeff Seif, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be with you. Absolutely. Glad to have you. Now, um, uh, Jeff, I love to hear backstories. I love to hear roads of how, of how people travel to where they are today. So can you tell me a little bit about your background? Uh, in particular, you were raised in a Jewish family, I believe, but you came to believe in the in Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Can you tell me a little bit about your background? How how did you how did you come to to, to follow Jesus? Sure, my wife and I were both raised uh, were both from of Jewish extract, both parents, and uh, so I came from a Jewish family. My mom was smuggled out of Nazi Germany by nuns, and uh, as a teenager, I ran into you know hippie. Christian sorts. It wasn't your garden variety church person. Uh, and I was kind of like a hippie, rebellious, you know, late 60s, early 70s. And uh, these Jesus people kind of turned me on to Jesus. That was the language of the day. And, you know, I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart. And that was the beginning of the journey. I stumbled around a little bit after that. But by my mid-20s, I kind of felt a certain call into the ministry. So I began the journey. Uh, went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago because they had a Jewish studies program and then did seminary uh, at Southern Methodist University, where I took a master's and a doctorate in theology and ministry and been involved in ministry in various capacities. Now, uh, one of one of the great influences on my life growing up as a, as a teen in the late 80s is Zola Levitt Ministries. And I remember watching this this guy. He would dress in, in um, traditional Jewish uh, clothing from a couple of thousand years ago, it seemed like. And he would be in Israel and he would be teaching scripture and he would be teaching about the importance uh, uh, of the Jewish foundation of our Christian faith and the importance of the nation of Israel. And it's my understanding that uh, at some point in your life, you became uh, part of that ministry. How did that happen that you became part of Zola Levitt Ministries? Well, Zola was headquartered in Dallas, Texas, where I have been for, since the early 80s. And he had worked for a season with an organization called the American Board of Missions to the Jews. And I had worked for them as well. And, uh, you know, I wound up working with Zola, you know, as a uh, research consultant, you know, helping prep television programs, uh, going over things he was minded to talk about. Um, Zola, the program is one of the longest running television programs in Christian broadcasting. You know, most television programs last a couple of years and then that's it. Uh, it's over 40 years. And uh, so I worked with him full time for a few years and then pivoted away to pursue a doctorate and uh, took a professorship. Uh, when Zola was sick, and this was well over a dozen, 15 years ago, uh, 
Uh, he had, uh, uh, you know, as he was dying, he'd asked, you know, see if we can get Jeff Seif back into the game to take over and the teaching helm of all of this. So I did it full time for five years, was involved in various aspects of the ministry and then pivoted away again with the professorship and the like. And uh, but then, no, I don't know, three or four years ago, they asked me to come back in. So, you know, I do. But I have a limited role. Uh, it's a big role, but it's limited. What I do is work with the producer, Ken Berg, for the television programs. There are other aspects of the organization. There's print media. There's um, all sorts of things that are done. Um, but, to, you know, I just do the television. And so it's, I've been doing that for about three or four more years. But it's a very long-standing program, like you said. Uh, people were stunned. They were shocked. They were attracted. They would watch Christian television. Here's a Jewish guy with a Jewish name, looking very Jewish, wearing Jewish robes, teaching Bible studies in the Jewish homeland. And, you know, I don't do the robe thing because that's just not the way I roll. But, uh, but uh, you know, I've been doing it ever since. And you do it very well. Uh, so if you don't mind, let's talk about the this uh, Zola, uh, the man himself, for, for just a couple of minutes. There, there's something compelling about this guy, uh, something down to earth about his teaching. What, what was your experience with Zola, the man? Well, like like you said, he, he was a very down-to-earth kind of guy. And, uh, you know, in a world where Christian television was very frosty and, you know, sensational and what have you, and everybody was picture-perfect with the hairspray and all the rest, he was something of an unassuming kind of guy. That really was his ethos. It's what he was like. And he endeared himself to many people because of that. In addition, uh, beyond his persona um, that... I had just described that you described. Again, it's the whole Jewish looking at the the good news through the eyes of the Jews was just so compelling to people. And uh, they were interested in the subject. They were interested in the message and then interested in the messenger. And so he worked his way into people's heads and hearts. Yeah, he certainly did. And uh, his his legacy continues. Uh, Let's speak about that, Jeff, if you don't mind. And I want to talk about the significance of, uh, of Israel today. Um, I was listening. I, I listened to uh, a lot of apologetic pastors at times and, and teachers, and many of them say that the the nation of Israel basically has been replaced um, by the church. And if you could discuss that just a little bit, why is Israel? Why are the Jews so significant even today as New Covenant believers? Why should we? Why should we be cons- be concerned about Israel? And why should we focus on on Jewish roots for a New Testament believer? Well, there's a few things in in the question, and it's a great question. Now, in all fairness to individuals that are not minded to see any significance in Israel or Jews or any of that, keep in mind the nation state of Israel was destroyed in the first century A.D. So if you look at uh, from first century A.D. right up until, you know, recent decades, It was non-existent as a political entity. So individuals that are looking uh, at the Bible and looking at the world would naturally not see um, because it's not there to behold. And uh, if you look at, you know, the commentaries that people uh, work with, uh, oftentimes these were written some decades back. and, And Israel just wasn't a player in the drama. So people just assume, obviously, whatever promises 
in the in, in the Bible speak about Israel, it must apply to the spiritual Israel, which is the church, because that's the happening act in town. You know, the nation state's long gone, but the church, you know, the Jesus story started off in Jerusalem uh, at Calvary, and now it's spread all over the world. So if you're looking at the Bible that talks about a great future for the people of God, it obviously means uh, the, the Christians, and it obviously means the church. Well, what was so obvious uh, isn't all that obvious at the end of the day. You know, the Bible speaks literally, and it does give various promises that, um, that, you know, toward the Hebrew people, the resurrection of the nation state at the latter edge of human history. And uh, so to see that emergence and to offer a telling of it is really the new kid on the block. So, you know, I get why people look at the, the Jewish story as replaced or displaced. Um, so I'm not angry. I'm not antagonistic. I understand why people think and feel that way. But it seems that it is what it is. God's doing something in the world in Israel against all odds. Another aspect, too, um, with the, the Jewish story is I think it's important to look through the good news of the eyes of the Jews. You know, Jesus wasn't a Southern Baptist or a Roman Catholic or a Lutheran. He, uh, Jesus uh, was Jewish. His disciples were Jewish. The story took place in the Jewish homeland. All the characters in the drama were Jews. And as a professor, as a Bible professor, you know, you know, when, if I'm teaching from the Older Testament, well, obviously you see the Jewish story there. But uh, the, 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 the Jewishness of Jesus in that early church has been obscured through time and circumstance. And, you know, I'm interested in reconstructing and resurrecting that because I think it's important. Yeah, and I think the term is called replacement theology. And, and just uh, as a, a, a bad, bad paraphrase, I guess, it's basically the belief that the church has replaced Israel. And God is basically done with the Jewish people. Um, and my question to you is, is there maybe a danger in that in believing replacement theology in the church? Well, I think so, because if you look at the um, if you look at the Bible, the promises to the Hebrew people have forever attached to them. You know, and if God makes a promise and then decides to renege on it in the Old Testament, well, then I suppose he can do so in the new. Uh, I think that, uh, well, you put it like this, you know, people will look at the Jewish people and say, you know, I don't get it. You people, you know, you read the Bible. I don't get why you can't see Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, You're obviously blinded. You just don't see that. So God turned away from you with people that that have eyes. Well, I get why people can think that way, you know, but if you look at the Older Testament, it's kind of hard to see Jesus. Someone needs to show you. I'm not surprised that Jewish people read the Bible and don't see Jesus. What surprises me is the Christian people read the Bible and don't see the Jews, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's, it's just there, you know, and, uh, um, you know, pray for the peace of Jerusalem is that where we, we end every television program in Psalm 122, Genesis 12, one through three, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You know, God is, you know, singled out of people to do a work through. And, and I just don't think it serves uh, anybody any good to kind of just remove that from the equation of Christian understanding. Yeah, you mentioned Genesis twelve three, Jeff. And if we could kind of camp there for just a minute, um, God promises to bless those uh, who, who bless Israel and, and curse those who curse Israel. How does that play out, do you think? Do you, do you think it plays out in nation states today in, in 2022? Well, 
yes. I mean, the, the, m- most people that read the Bible are interested in personal applications uh, because at the end of the day, we're, we're looking for biblical medicine for life's assorted hurts. We're wanting to get some utility out of it. But, uh, you know, for nation states that, that, that stand behind Israel, America stood with the Jews more than any nation at inception. It's part of the gene code. In fact, uh, there will be a series coming up for people to watch uh, Faith of Our Fathers, and we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at how constitutive the, uh, the, the, the Jewish story is to the founding of early America, believe it or not. And look at America. It's not perfect, and especially now I'm very concerned, but, but it certainly has a heritage of, 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 of being supportive of Israel. Israelites, initially, there was no nation state, but with the nation of Israel today, uh, America has stood shoulder to shoulder for the most part. Though, again, there are some presidents that have more resolve than others. Uh, but but I, I do think that, that, that there's an example there of standing with with uh, with with the, the Jews. Uh, but individuals, I think, um, I think there's, you know, standing with the Hebrew people. I think we do well to do that. Yeah. And, and you know, just on, on a personal note, um, I, I don't see how you can look at the nation of Israel, which is a tiny sliver of land, right? In, in the Middle East, it's surrounded by enemies, but it's prosperous. It, it's green. It, they're, le- they're leaders in, in, in medical science and in, in, in all kinds of things. They're the leaders worldwide, um, and, and they're, they're prospering. And, and how, you know, they, they, they came about basically from an impossibility to, to be reformed as a nation. And I, in, in other words, and I'm stuttering here, but I don't see how you can look at Israel and not see God's hand God's provision, God's providing, God's bringing this nation back. Um, right, it's a, it's a modern miracle. You know, if you go to church and someone's wheeled in a wheelchair and they popped up like a jack-in-the-box at a prayer meeting and run out and do a marathon, you'd go, wow, that's unexpected. But the only people that would marvel would be those that were there in the church service and saw it. Here you're looking at a miracle that's played out on the world stage against all odds. And to your point, Israel is no bigger than the state of New Jersey. It's surrounded by countries hell-bent on its demise. And um, if, if you look at the gross national product of Israel, what's produced in that small culture, if you took fossil fuels out of the equation, it's greater um, than all the, the nation states around about it combined. It's a very robust economy, very entrepreneurial, very successful, all things considered. Yeah, and, and Jeff, I, I've heard people say that um, that Israel is really... God's timepiece when it comes to prophetic events. What do they mean by that? Well, there are certain passages in scriptures. Jesus said to the Jewish leaders before he's departing in the Matean gospel, the gospel of Matthew, he's on record saying, you're not going to see me again until you're ready to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's standing there in Jerusalem and saying, you're going to see me come here one day. And um, that, you know, that... Jesus's coming is, in some sense, inextricably bounded to there being a nation state in Israel for him to return to. And with Israel's reemergence at the latter end of history, it kind of accelerates that sense of uh, we're living when prophecy may well be being fulfilled in our day. It certainly lends credence to that proposition. The world that we live in, yeah, specifically the West, it seems like we're exchanging truth for, for darkness and darkness for truth, light, light for darkness, darkness for light. Uh, right is now wrong and wrong is now right. 
How would you encourage someone uh, looking at uh, the events of, of the world, the, the things that are taking place around us? Um, maybe someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. How would you advise someone that that may be overwhelmed with the world events today? How would you encourage them? Well, I think, you know, relative to world events, um, you know, generally, specifically, most people are just embroiled in trying to survive their own personal events uh, in a precarious world, uh, trying to, people are concerned about their families, they're concerned about their finances, you know, they're concerned about their own internal equilibrium. I think many people, um, you know, have little left over to think about the bigger picture. Of course, people watch the news and people like myself can be concerned about the culture we live in. But in terms of geopolitical stuff, you know, Ukraine sweeps up onto our shores, but uh, most people's concerns are just localized to their immediate community and their family members and themselves. Uh, but I think there's just something about someone turning to the Lord where we realize by virtue of our so doing, there's a world beyond the border of our own nose, you know, and it kind of awakens us. Uh, to things beyond our own immediate constellation of concerns. And I think when individuals, you know, kind of develop a little biblical literacy, they start reading the literature and they and you start thinking, well, look, it says here in biblical literature and look at here in the newspaper. And if they see some kind of correlation, it kind of builds faith. I mean, the, the, part of being Christian is to participate in the world beyond the border of our own individual worlds. And to that end, I think, to your question, how do you get people involved in looking at the world beyond and finding Israel in it? Uh, first, I think first people need to look to the Lord and then take a look at biblical literature, and it kind of prompts people that direction. Yeah, and it, it seems like the solution is is the, the, um, the Jewish Messiah that you found, right? I believe so. I really do. Absolutely. I mean, I am so different than... Uh, uh, than what I was when I when I started, you know. I mean, for me, uh, as a human being now, I'm staring at, at at 67 in November. I'm 66 now, but oh goodness, I'm so different in so many ways than when it all began. Yeah, because of Jesus. Absolutely. Now you're you're still a, a main player in Zola Levitt Ministries. Uh, for for those that are unfamiliar with Zola Levitt Ministries, can you give us a rundown? What is Zola Levitt Ministries in 2022 all about? Well, you know, helping Jewish people come to know Jesus and helping Jesus people come to know Jews. And again, there's the media component, which is principally what it is. That, that, uh, uh, that's where I participate. I get together with the producer and uh, we prayerfully and carefully come up with our various television series. Uh, people can watch it on various networks. Daystar is the principal uh, Christian network that delivers, but people can Google Zola, Z-O-L-A-L-E-V-I-T-T, Zola Levitt Ministries, and, 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 and see where programs are showing on uh, different stations. But it's nationally syndicated. It goes coast to coast. And um, in conjunction with that, you know, when people watch the television, they're introduced to a news magazine that goes out. It gives a lot of perspective relative to the Middle East, and what's happening in Israel and the Jewish people, for those that are interested. Beyond that, you know, with the mind to get to the younger generation, there's stuff, you know, on Facebook and the social media stuff that we do that I'm not really involved in. For me, 
because I have a number of brands in the fire professionally. For me, you know, I'm involved with the producer on the television, then I pivot. And, you know, I have other fish to fry. But uh, there's a whole world in media, uh, social media, literature and the like. And people that want to go visit Israel, you know, if, you know, if you're going to go to visit Israel, why go with a Catholic priest? Go with a Jewish organization that, that'll help you. And I'm not trying to disrespect anybody that's maybe Catholic, but, uh, you know, go there with someone that can help you see the land through Jewish eyes. Um, and uh, so the organization does that. A couple times a year, people sign up for tours. Typically, I don't lead them uh, because when I'm there, you know, I just land and, and, and go to the various sites where we're filming television. And I'll visit the tourists if, if it coincides. Uh, but uh, but we have Messianic Jewish guides that, that, you know, tour guides, and we do that as well. I guess it's, you know, when my wife and I go on vacation, uh, we don't like to go to the chain restaurants. We like to go. Uh, to the to the at home or the the down home restaurants, for example, and and we like to go to the natives, I guess. So, so when you're, I, I yeah. guess I was thinking when you were saying that uh, when you travel Israel, instead of going with someone who's not familiar with the land, go with someone who's familiar, and they know all the good restaurants. Yeah, and right, and I think that that that's what you would want. Now, my wife, uh, independent of me, runs a nonprofit, a charity, and she's in Israel twice a year with uh, Sar Shalom Israel. And there's some touring, but, um, you know, people visit the Holy Land. They want to see where Jesus walked yesterday. I get that. But where's Jesus walking today? And, and uh, what Barry will do, will take people to the gutters, to the streets, various outreach ministries, various messianic ministries. And in addition to seeing the sticks and bricks that invoke a kind of awesome, you know, awe and wonder because it's it's the actual ruins of places people read about in the Bible. Um, again, you know, from Barry's perspective, it's not sufficient just to look where Jesus walked yesterday. What's up today? And she likes to expose people to that. But I think if people are going to go to Israel, you want to go look at it through the eyes of the Jews. You know, if I wanted to visit Rome, I'm not going to go with a Messianic Jewish teacher. Then I want a Catholic that's going to, you know, take me to it. Or if, you know, if, uh, uh, you know, if I wanted to study the French Revolution and went to Paris, give me, give me a Frenchman. You know, I don't want someone uh, with a PhD in French literature who graduated from America. I want, I want to, I want to get closer to the people that are actually part of the story. And uh, I think people do well to do that. Absolutely. And Jeff will provide all of the links below the video, uh, the links that you're talking about as well. So, uh, uh, Jeff Seif, what do you do apart from your, your writer, your teacher, uh, your preaching and also your policing? Uh, what do you do apart from that? Do you have any hobbies that you like to do apart from those those uh, 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 careers? Well, um, just to the point about policing, you know, I'm much less on the streets now. I uh, um I, 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 you know, superintend police training in the Dallas College system. I have the rank of commander. I used to jokingly say, you know, when I put on a police uniform, I take my mind off of my props and go make them for other people. <laughs> but I didn't make it for people that didn't have it coming. But uh, I really enjoy um, uh, my work as a, a trainer in law enforcement today, um, running police academies. Uh, but in terms of hobbies, uh, my wife and I both are motorcycle enthusiasts. Um, we, we both have Harley-Davidson motorcycles. Um, I, uh, 
I, I like to uh, weight lift. You know, today, this morning, I went to a men's Bible study before uh, this talk, but I was in the gym six days prior. Um, you know, I like to throw weights around. We go to bed early. We're usually sleep at about 8, 830. And I get up early and like to hit it. You know, I like to say this fat and ugly, but and I can't control the ugly, but I can control the the other. And so I like to throw weights around. Uh, I like to ride motorcycles. Um, I like to study. I just took another university degree. Um, I want to do another one on top, but my wife said, look, enough already. I, uh, um, but we have cats, mm-hmm. you know. Well, it sounds like you've got a, 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 a full plate and a busy schedule. So, I, but I'm curious, I, when I was researching a little bit about you in the last couple of days, it, it shocked me that you were in policing. Uh, for some reason, for some reason that didn't jive with all of the th- the other things that you're involved with. But, but talk about that a little bit, if you will. What's, what are some misconceptions, uh, especially in, uh, the last couple of years w- with police officers and, and the, you know, policing in general, as a police officer, what would you like the, the, the public to know about you guys? Okay, let me tell you how I got into it and kind of what I'm doing with it. And then look to answer your questions more directly. I started off as a chaplain, a volunteer chaplain. The police were looking for some ministers to help. And so I went through what training there was to be a police chaplain. And, you know, I was, I was pastoring a congregation in the city and, uh, it was an extension of my own Christian virtue to participate in community life. And in that context, I would, you know, do counseling for officers. I'd go on ride-alongs occasionally. I'd do weddings and funerals and baby dedications and the like. And uh, once I was on a ride-along and I thought, gee, you know, I just felt the Lord say, you know, why don't you see what it takes to get into one of those uniforms? And I was, in addition to being a pastor, I was a college professor at the time, a Bible college professor. I took a sabbatical from teaching, went to the police academy, and I just donated time, you know, one or two shifts a week afterward as a police officer on the street. Still a chaplain, um, but, uh, you know, I I would get out there and just do it. But I just kind of fell backwards into it. I wound up you know, kind of getting roped in, hey, look, you know, uh, can you help out in the police academy and teach a, a component or two? Um, can you, uh, you know, and hey, can you come and work as a supervisor in the department? We need a sergeant. And, you know, I'd work full time, but then I pivoted away. Um, but then I was asked to take over the police academy. And so I did. And um, I had become a masterpiece officer, which is the highest level educationally you can get. And then I went to Cambridge University in England and took a master's degree in applied criminology and police management and did an emphasis on training. I went back and forth to England across the pond and uh, did that. And and uh, so, I mean, the, the, the way I look at police, I mean, pound for pound, quite frankly, I think police are some of the finest human beings you're ever going to meet. You know, it, to me, it's striking the quality of person. Now, it is true. Police are exposed to a lot of stuff and people can deteriorate. And so there are people that can start off good, but then get disoriented in the process. Now, uh, it, you know, if that translates into um, illegality on the streets, these individuals need to be prosecuted for it. You can't provide any quarter for people that uh, 
that do bad. You know, people's marriages can fall apart. There can be too much alcohol after work. Uh, there can be deterioration. But by far and above, people we we be surprised. It's so much the exception and not the rule. Police are just a fine lot, just a great group of people. And to me, quite frankly, that's the thing that's been the most striking uh, with my 25 years being involved with police. It's just great people all as a rule of thumb. Uh, and um, it really is a misconception that police are just badass kind of people that want to push people around and everything. That has not been my experience at all. Yeah, I was looking at uh, some recent stats. Um, suicides among those that are in emergency services, specifically the police department, have skyrocketed apparently over the past couple of years. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, mental health can become an issue because you're exposed to so much trauma. You know, I mean, you know, I've been around dead bodies. I've seen things that most people don't see, and that stuff can stick. It's not like Teflon that rolls off. And beyond that, you know, I mean, what you, the shifts you work, 12-hour shifts, you get tired. You know, if you're working deep nights and nights, it kind of impinges upon your relationship with your family. You go out over 20 years, the stress can, can, ha can have a compounding effect. I mean, just uh, safeguarding the mental health of police officers is something that, that's really looked at seriously. Uh, in the industry today, there can be mental health issues. Plus, you go out into a culture where people are yelling at you, screaming at you, and accusing you unfairly. That can exact a toll as well. There are a lot of people that are getting out of Dodge just because the climate has been very, very trippy. But I think principally just the, the, the effect of exposure to trauma can have a deleterious effect internally. If you look at suicide amongst police, it's higher because police have access to more guns than other people do. But even with, let's say, those that responded to 9-11, uh, the World Trade Tower crash, the, the suicide rate there was three times higher than, than the average rate, in fact. It's just, it's just a, a weird underworld that people are exposed to. Yeah, and, and I know of at least one or two uh police officers that watch or listen to this program and they may, they may get weary at times. How would you encourage them? Well, you know, the, I think it's important to be involved in, in, in a faith community. Um, you know, you know, you can be a psychiatrist and if all the people that you see all day, every day are very severely ill, then you might think everybody's crazy. But no, it's just because you're exposed to it. Uh, and if you're a police officer, depending on what agency you go to, you're going call to call and you're dealing with trauma. So you think everybody's a criminal, everybody's out of control. No, it's just that you get called into that. And um, I, I think it's important to develop relationships beyond uh, the police world. I think it's very important to be part of a faith community too, by the way. And and, and I think it's it's important to to build things into your life uh, like that, you know, that uh, midweek services, uh, weekend services, to participate in home groups, Sunday schools, whatever, uh, to develop other friends. I think that's important. I think it's important for police people and all people to get rid of bad habits. Um, you know, the alcoholism and other things can really be problematic. But uh, um, and there are fellowships, there are Christian fellowships of police officers to you know, participate in that. Sometimes cops think no one understands us but other cops. And it is true. It is a unique subculture 
And it, it does build a kind of bond amongst those that are participating in it. I think uniform service has that effect. If you go off to war as a soldier, those that survive and come back, they'll be buddies for life. Uniform service will do that. And in fire service, I served as a firefighter for a little bit. And in police service, you do build this bond. And I think it's important to maintain that, to be honest with your friends, but to develop friends beyond the community and develop a relationship with God. I think that'll all help. Yeah, that seems to be the, the foundation that we, sh- we should all have is faith with, with God through the person of Jesus Christ. Um, yes. So let's kind of uh, let's kind of conclude, Jeff, on a, a more positive note. Uh, uh, one of your posts was, I, I think, a picture of you and your wife, and you and you quoted or, or you you stated, "Faith in a good wife, with both a man can go just about anywhere and do just about anything." What do you mean by that? Well, I'll tell you, I really hit pay dirt. You know, life's hard. As it is, you know, I liken life to like climbing a mountain because there are struggles to be sure. And if you're carrying a backpack, that's great. But you don't want rocks in it. You don't want extra weight that's just going to burden you down. It's hard enough to scale the cliff without the weight, never mind carrying it with you. Um, when you have a good relationship with your significant other, it, 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 it not only doesn't add weight. I mean, a lot of people live in this skitzed out Alzheimer's world where the relationship, there's the fog, the baggage, oh, the spouse and the tension. And I mean, who needs all that? You know, I need a clear head just to face the challenges of the day. And you, you want to have that stuff straightened out. And for me, I just feel so blessed. My wife, Barry, I, I say that she's the way, the truth, and the wife. That uh, and, and I was married beforehand to my first wife, Patty, went on to be with the Lord. Uh, uh, ovarian cancer claimed her, and I did very good fortunate there as well. But to have a good wife, you know, I mean, scripture, a good wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels and the heart of her husband, her husband trusts in her. And so, uh, but I think if you want to have a good wife, you got to decide to be a good husband too. <laughs> it doesn't happen by accident. It's a team sport. Uh, but for me, uh, my wife is just the greatest. And uh, I'm so very blessed to have her. I mean that sincerely. Yeah, and it seems like you guys are on the same page in, in, in terms of Messianic Jewish belief. Is that correct? I think you have to have the same, you know, value system. And Barry's of Jewish extract as well, came to faith. And she, I mean, I think she's more on fire for the Lord than I am. I, to, I told her that, too, that, that uh, if you look at that picture uh, where I say a good wife, if you look at me, I look a little befuddled and confused and she's got joy and she's sitting there pointing to the Bible, you know. I mean, it's in so many ways, she's so much the inspiration in our family system. You know, Jeff, it, it's just an observation from a from a Gentile believer here, but it seems like when a, a person of, of, of Jewish origin or Jewish background comes to the Lord, it seems like they're, they're, they're on fire or they... they they jump in with with both feet into the Christian faith. Am, am I observing wrong here, or is it just an observation? No, I think it's a radical shift. If you're going to do it, you're going to jump in with both feet. You know, I'm not here because my mother was a praying Sunday school teacher, was hoping her son came to know the Lord. Um, when, when, I, when I pivoted this way, it was so very radical. You know, it, it, it's. Uh, um, you know, my family and friends thought I was crazy. I mean, so you really are making a radical shift. And so I think it builds a little more intensity in you uh, because of the struggle associated with the with the with the reorienting of your life. 
it's like, you know, and I I don't want to boast. If I flex my muscles or or if you touch my body, there'd be more muscular tissue here than what. But it's because I'm in the gym all the time and it has a net effect on the person uh, because you're under the weights, you're under the struggle. And I think there is a kind of struggle for a Jewish person that accepts Jesus, certainly initially, that creates a little more robust um, orientation toward the Christian life that might otherwise be there because of the price that's paid. Yeah, and apparently it can be a high price at times uh, to do that. Uh, it's my understanding. So, Jeff, I guess as we're, we're landing the plane here, um, what would you say not only – to someone from a Jewish background, but maybe a Gentile background as well, about this Jewish Messiah? Well, I think it's, you know, I mean, among other things, I pastor like a Hebrew Christian congregation, and people call me rabbi, and Jesus is referred to as Yeshua. And individuals are more predisposed to celebrate Jewish holidays. But I don't care what people call him. I just think everyone needs to call on him, Jesus, Christ, uh, Easter. I don't, I mean, for anybody, I, I, I think the ultimate answer in life is Jesus. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's not just God so loved the Jews, you know. It's, it's, it's a world thing. And the same Lord is Lord of all, Paul said, and he bestows his riches upon all who call upon him. Um that's just not good news for Jews. That's good news for yous if you don't happen to be Jews. So that's the way I see it. Very, very good advice. Very good advice to end on. And, and uh, Jeff, I'm going to ask you to hang on for just a couple of minutes after the program ends. But I will try to – is there anything else that you want to add um, to, to, to some of the uh, – some of the – maybe the books that you're working on, some of the programs that you're, you're, you're videoing, um, some of the lectures that you're giving? Anything you want to add? I know before you did this, you said, Jeff, if you want to promote anything, go ahead and do so. But really, I could care less. If people want to Google my name, Jeffrey Seif, I've written a number of books, you know, and I superintended a new Bible translation that a major publisher picked up and a Christian publisher. And, you know, I mean, I thought my, I have a number of brands in the fire as a scholar. And uh, But no, never mind me. Let's just talk about Jesus. I got nothing I want to say about me or even the. The television, you know, I've already said, if people want to look it up, they can look it up. It's not it's not important to me that they do it. I don't care whether they look me up. I want people to look up <laughs> to Jesus. I'd rather descend on that note. Well, very wise advice, and that's that's very rare. So, so thank you for that. Um, so I, I'd like to conclude with it. Uh, I hope I pronounced this correctly. Is it Sha'ilu Shalom Yerushalayim? What does that mean? Let's pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Absolutely. And uh, Dr. Jeffrey Seif uh, is joining us today. And thank you so much for joining us. Tony, my pleasure. Thanks for doing this. And until next time.